That old black magic has me in its spell That old black magic that you weave so well I see fingers up and down my spine Same old witchcraft when your eyes meet mine Welcome to another episode of Broomsticks and Butterbeer. Dan Rhino, your Hufflepuff host. Jessica Rhino, your Ravenclaw host. And we're going to be talking about Chapter 8 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone today, titled The Potions Master. You were kind of excited about this chapter. I'm just excited to be at Hogwarts, finally. Sweet. I was excited because it was a shorter chapter. Yes, yes, you are. And uh, even though the chapter was significantly shorter than the other ones we've recorded i still took a full page of of course you did <laughs> copious notes copious notes and uh, how many notes do you have on uh, today's docket zero zero notes i wrote down nothing so you're uh you're rolling uh you're freestyling here i always do oh sweet all right so uh i think we're on on pace for a really good show today yeah so when we left uh just kind of recap where we were at at the end of the last chapter which was we all the students had uh, kind of been sorted and yeah we arrived at Hogwarts they got sorted they had their their feast and then they went to their common rooms and something that we're gonna going to harken back to in this chapter was that odd interaction between Severus Snape Professor Snape and Harry Potter and it wasn't even a verbal interaction it was just kind of a death stare that Professor Snape was giving. Harry, and even to the point where it made Harry uncomfortable, but also made that scar on his forehead burn, which he couldn't really explain, and he kind of just kind of just put off and relegated to, I don't know, it's Hogwarts and weird stuff happens here. <laughs> I mean, that, that's Not, kind of the impression that, that I got. That's pretty much the whole chapter we just read. Right. That's kind of the impression that I got. It's just, I mean, you know, look, weird stuff's going to happen, and I can't really explain it, and, you know, I guess I'll find out everything eventually. And that's what we as readers think, too. So the chapter starts off with Harry and the other students getting to their first day of classes, and Harry's having to deal with this, the muttering of students in the hallway about the famous Harry Potter, basically, you know, as if, again, as if he's a celebrity. And they're treating him as such, just openly talking about him, writing, you know, as if he is... Uh, you know, some kind of zoo creature and, you know, saying anything that that pops into their head. And Harry, he just wants to find his way through uh, the sprawling, ever-changing uh, corridors of Hogwarts, correct? Yes. yes. We actually, um, she spends the first several pages just kind of summing up Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of telling going on, which is usually an author no-no. But she spends the first half of the chapter literally tell, just telling us about his first week. And then the second half, we pick up where we actually start. It's it's Friday. He's gone through that whole week, and we're just Friday morning trying to, to get to breakfast. Right. That's where we actually dive in and pick up with Harry, and we're actively participating in the story at that point. The rest of it's just a bunch of telling us, hey, this happened, this happened, this happened. Real brief stuff. So... Little snapshots of what's been going on all week. What were some of the things that you remembered about the ever-changing 
layout of Hogwarts? What was uh, some of the things that make it so difficult for a student who has not ever been there to get around from class to class? All of the things? All the things. All of the things. There's there's That's, we're gonna hundred get that. something We're going to get that put on a t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> yes. Broomsticks and Butterbeer Podcast. All, all the, the things. things. No, this, it's just a me thing. I always say all of the things. Yeah. But um, I have a bracelet on there that said something about it. You can do all things or something like that. But anyway, there's there's over a hundred staircases. They move even when they're not moving. They're being tricky, and they've got stairs that disappear, and you got to jump over them. Mm-hmm. Or doesn't say you're gonna fall through, but it kind of implies that if you have to jump over them because they're gonna disappear when you step on them. You've got doors that are locked or doors that you have to talk nicely to, doors you have to tickle to get through. Just every, all of the things, literally all of the things. My favorite was there's staircases that on Fridays <laughs> go to different places. Yes, <laughs> which I don't know how he knew because he was just starting Friday out, but I guess somebody told him. Yeah, somebody wa- Somebody wise gave him a heads up. up. Yeah. Uh, We've got ghosts, uh, some of which that are helpful. Our Gryffindor ghost is... Nearly uh, Headless Nick. Nearly Headless Nick is Very pretty helpful. helpful with getting the Gryffindor students from place to place. But then you've got ghosts like Peeves the Poltergeist, who will do everything he can in his power to make you late for class. Yes, everything. Turn you around, throw things at you. The trash cans over trash your head. Trash cans over your head. Oh, Peeves. And then there's a character that... I guess I was not very familiar with from the movies. I guess because you know, in the in the movies, there's just so many prominent characters that sometimes some of the secondary characters kind of get lost in the sauce a mm-hmm. little bit. So, well, and you haven't seen them a million times or true. anything. That's I, true. I, so, what can you tell us about Argus Filch? Filch says he's the caretaker. What does the caretaker entail? He's the glorified janitor. He okay. goes around and he cleans up all the, the messes and he hangs the frames. He's just kind of the handyman around Hogwarts. Okay. And he also has a cat, Mrs. Norris. Yes. Who's kind of like his little spy that whenever the cat finds one of the students doing something they're not supposed to, she'll go, she'll go back and, and tattle to uh, Mr. Filch. Does, is he going to be, is he somebody that we really need to know oh, for yes. the future? Okay. I mean, even, I, I threw in the line about you haven't seen the movies a hundred times because he's pretty prominent in the movies too. He's always lurking around. He's always doing things. Um, he's pretty com- pro- prominent in the movies. Okay. Well, so, of course, you know, he was on Game of Thrones too, so. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie again. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of Game of Thrones actor Crossovers. crossover that yes. that we've talked about uh, just off air. Uh, you and I have you know gone through websites and there's all kinds of uh, articles online about this actor was in you know these 15 actors were in Game of Thrones <laughs> and, and Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah. So there's a lot of fandom so he's uh, crossover first. with he's... the with the actors there. Uh, let's go through some of the classes that they have to take in this. Uh, first term here at Hogwarts. Uh, every Wednesday at midnight, we yes, have to uh, do a little stargazing. We have to get our telescopes out, and they are the students are expected to study stars and constellations and planet movements and things like that. I was really trying to think of how. I mean, 
Like how there that is a class to... later that I guess it kind of pertains to, but I was just trying mm. to think of how she brought that back and worked it into their magic. It's not something that's, I guess, they really need to know because... Yeah, I was wondering that too, because the, the first thing that kind of comes to mind when I think about like stars in alignment and planets in alignment is like horoscopes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, oh the the moon is is in is in ember orientation, <laughs> and yes. and that means that you're going to have very good luck this week. You know, just just st- things like that. And I guess there there's some kind of correlation, yeah, magical correlation between those things. And they do take a class later in in this books that that pertains to. But other than that, I mean, it's just just that one part. I mm-hmm. couldn't really think of anything else where they needed to know the stars you. and constellations. Uh, I mean, there maybe there's more more to it than than we we realize, but you're saying that it doesn't really become like a prominent thing. No. But they only do it once a week, so it can't be that, no, that important. Not it's like that that, that softball class. You got to learn your I, basics. It's like that softball class I took in college. <laughs> only met once a week for 50 <laughs> minutes. It was only one credit hour, and we played softball, and there was about five of us, and it was interesting playing a softball game with five people. I bet. Uh, we had herbology, or herbology, with Professor Sprout. Yes. Uh, three times a week, and what were, in herbology, they are, you know, going over, like, magical fungi and plants and how to care for them. How to care and for them, what they do. The, the, that was the thing that kind of got... I was a little confused about because it seemed awfully similar to the potions class. Yeah, but this is taking care of growing and cultivating. And the other one was like how to use them how in magical to use ways. It. So this was how a... to combine them to okay. co- to make potions. So I wonder in this class, do they talk about like what the different herbs are used for? Yes. In magical magical ways, or you know, you could have a certain herb with healing properties, but if you combine, then you take it over to potions and combine it with something else, you could make yeah. it make it grow a, a tail whole or potion. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So things like that. They're just the basic properties of these things. Gotta learn the basics first. And uh, we had the history of magic with Professor Binns. By far the most boring class on the uh, the register. Well, the history of anything is usually. (laughs) (laughs) What about the history of hip hop? Pretty interesting though. Not so much. Not to you? Okay, I understand. (laughs) And even the fact that uh, Professor Binns gets famous people mixed up. You know, famous wizards and things like that. No, are, I don't think are... he did. The kids did. Oh, okay. He was droning on and on while they were getting the. Okay, the I thought it was. Up. I thought they were saying that the professor got things mixed up, and so he like wasn't even very good at this no. point. No, but I he think having... he's really good, but he does have a a quirk, if you want to call it. But it's just all about like memorizing dates and dates places and, and things like that, which I guys. hated. God, I hated that, and I I love. I actually like. You know, I'm kind of a history nerd. You are a uh, nerd. For, yes, no doubt. But I like to know, like, the stories behind things. I don't think that it's necessarily beneficial to memorize dates and places, you know, for, like, a war or something mm-hmm. like that. More so, like, do I really need to know what date and what place this battle took place? I, I really need to know... What, why? Why? Yeah, why what it happened? What was the outcome of it? What led up to it? it? Exactly. Who was involved? 
you know, why it was important, why it was significant, right. what changed after it. Right. And if you don't, you know, understand your history, you're doomed to repeat it. It's not if you don't remember the dates, those dates are going to come back again. Yeah. You know, that's not the same. Uh, we've got charms class. Oh, but wait. Oh, sorry. Professor Benz? Mm-hmm. He's a ghost? Ah, he's the only professor he a that's a ghost. He, yeah, he, he fell went to take a nap in front of a fire and, and and died apparently and just got up as a ghost and went back to class. Yeah, so he was a professor when he was alive. Yes. Uh, fell asleep in front of a fire, died. Yes. Uh, his body just stayed there and he's like, well, I got to get to class though. I don't even think that he really noticed. <laughs> I think he was just like that hardcore and, you know, just zombied almost of this is my nine to five i just got to do this get through the day and and like he didn't even notice that he's dead he just went right back to work so i'm trying to uh read my my scribbling here uh-huh. okay it said well first of all that when we said about professor benz it says benz droned on and on while they scribbled down names and dates and got emmerich the evil and Eric the oddball mixed up so yeah they were they just writing down so many just random names, they couldn't, they couldn't keep, keep, keep it straight. all straight. So there doesn't seem like there was a lot of structure to his teaching other than just throwing things out and saying, memorize them, which is pretty bad teaching. Yeah, I, I'm picturing, it. like, and I had teachers that did this. Oh, yeah, me too. They just, like, wrote the timeline on the board, mm-hmm. like, literally a timeline, and said, this happened, this name, this date that's important, and then they type make another hash mark. This happened on this date. You got it all in chronological order, but like you said, you never got the background, the story, the understanding of it. Sure, you're just you're just kind of skimming the surface and mm-hmm. not really drilling down into something that's meaningful and something that you'll be able to hang on to because you just don't. But this you're not is invested in it. Be f- slightly fair, I guess. This is their only history class. And so he's got to cover everything. Sure. So he's probably condensing it as much as he possibly can. And yeah, like you said, just throwing names and dates at them. It just seems like a... like Important a, facts. It seems like it could be an interesting class if it was... You know, when, I, when I've always taught history, I've kind of treated it more like you're telling a story. Mm-hmm. And if you present it in a boring way like Professor Benz is doing, then... Students aren't connected to it, therefore they're not going to recall any of the information. But if you present it in as more of a, you know, a, a story and make it more interesting in in that way, rather than just memorizing dates and people, then they connect to it a little bit more, and they and they tend to you know pick up on things and remember it, and then they tend to ask questions, and that you know makes the learning even deeper, and kind of you know takes it outside the box and takes it to that higher level, uh, those higher level thinking skills. But, you know, what do I know? I've just been teaching for 15 years. Well, maybe Former he's, district teacher of the year. You know, no big deal. <laughs> maybe he's just trying to stick to the facts. Yeah, stick to the curriculum. Well, yeah, stick to, <laughs> stick to the facts. Because we already know there's quite a bit of prejudice going on, mm-hmm. which had to have been all throughout their history where they've clashed with muggles. And they, like you said, they probably have a very interesting history. Mm-hmm. But... Maybe he's got to stay away from some of the more explosive topics. Well, that is true. I and mean, whoever you know, whoever writes the history, that whole thing, yeah, is who who's yeah. telling the history. Yeah, the winner get, t- gets to write the story. You know, maybe he doesn't want to tell the pure blood side, but that would make some of the parents really mad because pure blood is the best. Sure. And 
So he's just sticking to the facts. Yeah, you don't want angry parents calling him. I can, I can <laughs> vouch for that. But, I mean, I guess it kind of is like, you know, when there's a war, you know, when, uh, you know, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in, you know, World War II, and then the United States in turn dropped, you know, the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I'm sure our history books tell those stories way different than the Japanese history books. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like the evil Americans, you know, just... Uh, murdered, you know, civilians and, and things like that just to, you know, through underhanded, you know, cowardly tactics. And ours was like, well, you, you know, attacked us first for no reason. And for no you know, reason. We, were, we didn't start the fight, but we sure finished it. You know, so I guess maybe if he just sticks to dates and people and, you know, places, then that might make it, you know, less open to controversy. So I do see your point there. Uh what about Charms Class with Charms class. Professor Flitwick, Flitwick, a tiny little wizard who had to stand on a pile of books to see over his desk? Uh, the biggest thing I got out of Charms Class was the fact that uh, Professor Flitwick gets all giddy when he uh, is calling Roll <laughs> and Harry Potter's name come up and he, Harry Potter is in the class. And a teacher really shouldn't get that that way about a a student but yeah but that's just him he's adorable so what is what does charms class entail exactly the charms class is it's the foolish wand waving um where you're going to Put a spell on something. That's later the the whole famous scene where it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Mm-hmm. That whole, where they're making feathers levitate and they're doing things. Okay. It's more of like an active spell casting. So probably pretty fun class. Pretty fun class, I, I would bet. So. Uh, Professor McGonagall shows back up again. Your favorite. Love Professor McGonagall. And she is the a professor of transfiguration. That would be my favorite class. And a tra- transfiguration is essentially just changing one thing into something else. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually, that's why it's my favorite class, changing yourself. She can change into a cat. Mm-hmm. So. so that's like the highest, the level, highest of, level of, of transfiguration. transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And McGonagall is actually able to turn, was it the table into a pig? Or desk Your into desk a into pig? a pig, yep. But the students are way far away from, oh, from yes. anything like that. She's, she's showing off a little. Their biggest, uh, the biggest thing that they were trying to do in this class, and Hermione was uh, was the only one who was able to actually pull it off, was to turn a match into a needle. Yeah, she came close. She didn't actually do it, but it's her first week. We're still we're still summarizing the first week. Yeah, she actually got a little sharp edge. And it turned it silver. There. Yeah, silver and a little pointy. So not bad for the first class. Yeah. For Hermione, uh, McGonagall. We we talked about her in on previous shows about how she comes off very gruff and she comes off very stern, but that she actually she's the Gryffindor uh, house leader or the head of the house. Head of the house. But she is not. Um, she doesn't go easy on anybody. No. You know she's got high expectations, and she lays down the law and the. In the first chapter, or in in on first the first class. D- class day, and and we kind of get to see two different, very stern teachers in McGonagall, and we'll talk about Snape in a little bit, who both have uber control over their 
classes in slightly but different ways. Kind of yeah. have, you know, slightly different approaches to it, but also different underlying personalities as well. You know, McGonagall actually gave uh, Hermione a little smile mm-hmm. when she was able to, you know, almost make the transfiguration of the match to the, the needle. I'm betting complete. nobody ever did that, like she's done this lesson on the first day of school every year and nobody has ever gotten close and then Hermione because she's just fantastic and she did it and so I think she got that little smile she was like oh this is gonna be fun teaching somebody who actually gets it the class that a lot of the students were the most excited about was the defense against the dark arts and that was uh, our good friend uh, good friend professor professor Quirrell, who wears the turban, <laughs> yes. uh, hangs out, uh, got to meet Harry at the uh, at the bar before uh, actually started, him, yeah. he, he came to Hogwarts. But the fact that uh, Quirrell is teaching it kind of makes it a bit of a joke of a class. I mean, it's this guy seems like so ill-equipped to teach this subject. And the whole place smells like garlic because he's scared of vampires. vampires. And his turban, he said, was given to him by some prince because he got rid of his zombie problem. And then when somebody asks him about, you know, well, how did you do that? What was, tell us more about the zombie story. He just kind of changes the subject, which makes it kind of seem that maybe that didn't really happen. Maybe he's kind of putting on a front here. Yeah, and I was kind of, as I was reading that, wondering because the movies don't actually get into that i mean they, they make him seem incompetent but they don't get into those specifics i was trying to think i was like i know we have werewolves in this harry potter world but i don't think it's ever maybe they reference vampires i don't think they've ever referenced zombies again so i'm like is that i know you know in their world that there can still be things that are made up in their world a lot of things that are fictional in our world are real in harry potter but so it just made me kind of question that i'm like is there such thing as zombies or in the harry potter universe or not seems like an opportunity for a, a little crossover maybe a little walking dead crossover <laughs> no absolutely not. See some of the it might just be my prejudice coming out because i hate zombies yeah. so much well, I nobody likes zombies. don't want them to even exist in the Harry Potter no, Nobody universe. wants zombies to really exist. That would be a horrible world. <laughs> Just because you enjoy a zombie TV show and the, the storytelling that, that takes place on said show does not mean that you really want zombies to exist in the world. Mm, there are some geeks out there that do. That, that's stupid. It is stupid. You really want zombies to exist? They think you they could survive. Fool. There's, and oh they're, God. they're idiots. And that's the other thing. It's like if there were zombies... Zombies got out of control so fast that it's just like, mm, I think you would, there'd be more of a problem than just Quirrell needing to go to some village in Africa and yeah. taking care of business. And get, getting a turban. And Unless it was some necromancy stuff. And putting some, That's putting totally some, gar- he, and he puts garlic in his turban, apparently. Yeah, because to- the vampires. <laughs> Vampires are gonna get Because them. they, they might, not, when the vampires come, they might not come to his classroom. They might, you know. Get him when he's sitting on the toilet or something. He's got to have that turban with the garlic in it ready to go. Mm-hmm. In um, the Mortal Instruments books, mm-hmm. like one of the first things they tell Clary is all of the stories are true. All of them. So there's vampires and there's fairies and there's werewolves. So it just makes me wonder in this one. It's like, well, does that mean everything, every fictional thing is real in Harry Potter? So it just mm-hmm. made me wonder. Okay, sorry. We can go back. 
You know, the cool thing that that Harry finds out in his first week is that he's not as far behind the other students as he thought he was. He's mm-hmm. kind of pleasantly surprised in, in that fact. There are other muggle-born children that didn't know until they got their letter. Mm-hmm. Just like him. I mean, he was not muggle-born, but he was basically Sure. He's, yeah, muggle-raised. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he he's kind of... Um, like I said, it was uh, it was a good surprise for him to know that he's not coming coming into the game as as far behind as he thought he might be. Because you know, Ron comes from a whole family of wizards, wizards. and witches, and he's he doesn't know that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, so it's it's actually kind of a good thing for Harry. Uh, we get a morning letter with the owls. Everybody's owls come and deliver the mail in the morning during breakfast. And Harry gets his first letter from Hedwig, his owl. And because uh, usually Hedwig just shows up and maybe eats a little bit of Harry's food and then just kind of <laughs> flies off. Hey, buddy. But, you gonna uh, eat that? The first uh, letter is from Hagrid, and he's just kind of checking in on, on Harry's first week, and he invites him to have some tea with him have that afternoon. Tea. And that's going to be, there's a lot that I wrote down that came out of that, that seemingly insignificant meeting mm-hmm. that. Is going that's is really setting us up for big events. Yeah, she sets a lot up in that little little tiny scene. But let's talk. We do all all the action comes in the very end of the chapter. Yeah, it really it really does a good job of, you know, when I'm when I'm reading books to to students, I always you know find that a really good author, you get to the end of the chapter and you want to keep going. Mm And when you don't keep going, when you tell the students that you're going to have to wait till tomorrow to find out what happens in the next chapter, oh. and, and they give you that, you know, that's awesome. When they give you that reaction that they want to keep going, that's what good authors do. And that's what good authors can even get, like, reluctant readers uh, to, to want to read books. And she does, uh, J.K. Rowling does a really good job of that, and, on, and really all of these chapters. It's also the major contribution to sleep deprivation. <laughs> You, just one more chapter. One more chapter. One oh more my chapter. God! What's going on? One more chapter. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember late nights. So let's talk about uh, basically the uh, the main point of this whole chapter, titled "The Potions Master," because we're actually going to go to potions class, led by Professor Snape, who yes. seemingly hates Harry Potter after that odd interaction that we had at the start of term banquet, and this is. Confirmed almost immediately his hatred for Harry in the fact that Snape immediately begins picking on him. What were some of the the ways that Snape was giving Harry a hard time? Uh, well, he was calling him a celebrity. Oh, a celebrity's call. here. I don't think he said it like that. Yeah, he did. Because that's not how Snape talks. I think, I think he talks like this. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think Snape Ooh, ever Harry talked Potter's like that in his here. life. Um, and then he started asking a bunch of questions that they obviously didn't know the answer to on the first day of class. Setting him up for, setting Harry up for failure. Just basically trying to make a fool out of him. And he was just like rapid firing questions to Harry that there was no way, not no, not completely no way he would know because clearly Hermione knew. Because somebody knew the answer. But, um... No one but Hermione would know. Hermione just, I'm just picturing her just almost ready to explode from 
you know, just unable to contain the fact that she knows the answer and she's not getting called on and she's just ready to, to burst, yes. just ready to shout out everything. Uh, but, you know, Hermione But it's is, too proper. Right. And can't break the rules. No, can't break the rules. So she's just going to explode. Yep, she does, like, almost stand up, like, a little bit, though, and that... She does stand, finally, that gets, on the third one. And that finally gets Snape's attention to, you know, get her to sit down. But, you know, Harry, not trying to be a jerk or anything, but he kind of says, well, why don't you call on Hermione? She, she Obviously seems to she know. knows. And Snape just... Oh, he, ta- he takes that. that as back talk. He takes that as being smug. And he takes a point away from Gryffindor yeah. for well, that. You know, he said that. And I was like, oh, that's not fair. And I was like, eh, it's just one point. Yeah. Because we know later they get 50 points here and 20 sure. points there. It's just, it's just one point. So I think he knows he's being unfair. But he's just, you know, just, just one. Well, we even had a situation later where Snape takes another point away. And it really didn't have anything to do with Harry. It was Neville who was mixing his potion together and does not follow the correct order of inserting ingredients or something like that. And all, and all of a sudden just starts breaking out in, in boils and yeah, warts all over his face. Yeah, he melted or exploded the cauldron. Yeah. Seamus's or... Sa- Seamus's. Yeah, and there's confusion there because Seamus eventually gets the reputation for blowing everything up Mm -hmm. but i think in the beginning it's neville so i don't know if maybe there's jk rowling just decided to switch the traits up Mm -hmm. so seamus gets it or maybe seamus actually did something and we're just being misled here at this point i'm sure she could spin that but um i just thought it was interesting that neville exploded the cauldron it was seamus's cauldron Mm -hmm. but he she he exploded it and Snape actually gets on Harry for... Why not, didn't you tell him? Why didn't you why tell didn't him? You you're stop the, him? You're the famous Harry Potter. You should know everything. You should have told him not to put those porcupine needles in while the, <laughs> it, was on the you know, while it was on the heater or, or whatever the, the, the reason was that uh, we had the explosion and uh, the potion was leaking on the floor and melting student shoes and, and things like that. So we get more points taken away. And, you know, Harry is just, he, he doesn't know why Snape hates him so much. He feels bad because he's already lost two points for his uh, house. He's just very unsure about this Professor Snape. Mm-hmm. So uh, Harry and Ron go off to meet Hagrid for tea. And we meet Fang. Fang. Tell us a little bit about Fang, ha- Hagrid's pet. It's a big big drooly dog they call him a boarhound in the book how big are we talking i'm assuming mastiff size okay if not a little bigger because it's harry potter so maybe a couple hundred pounds probably not a couple hundred hundred and a half okay i was i just kind of imagine it like being bigger because Hagrid's bigger. Yeah, I would think that if ha- Hagrid's an enormous man, he'd have a. In the movies, it's a Neapolitan Mastiff, but uh, you know they weren't going to CGI a massive, well, more than one massive dog. Ooh, spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to misspeak. Um, but yeah, so I, it, it doesn't say that he's any particular breed of magical dog that would be bigger. Okay. But I could see where you'd think that because Harry Grid's so big. 
But he's actually, he's kind of like Hagrid. He looks big and gruff and tough, but he's actually just a big softy. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes over and licks Ron's ears, and he lays on Harry's lap and drools all over him. and He's kind of a big sweetheart. But could, I would assume, very protective if, if need be. If need be, I'm sure. Kind of put, puts, up a, puts on a good show when he hears the knock at the door, as a lot of our dogs that we've had over the years tend to do. They sound really scary, and as soon as they come in, we could say that, you know, the robbers would come into our house, and the dogs would help them point out all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of hold the door for them on the way out. But the, I, I wrote a couple interesting things come out of this. Number one, Harry is telling the story of, of his interactions with Snape to Hagrid, and Harry is insistent that Snape hates him, and Hagrid is overly trying to deny that that's not true and not just saying oh harry you're crazy he hates everybody he's really going out of his way to put that thought out of harry's head and he seems really eager to ignore it and change the subject is that the impression that you got i didn't think he was really overly selling it but yeah he definitely wanted to just let's just move on and change the subject and but you know Ron did it too. I mean, it's not like Snape is a pleasant teacher to anyone. And he, Ron even said to him, don't worry about losing those points. He takes points away from Fred and George all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just Harry, but it Harry gets like a little extra special. It just seemed hey. to me that Hagrid knows more than yes. he's letting on about yes. the Snape reasoning for picking on Harry so much. Yes. Okay. I'm sure he he does, but I don't think that at this point it's the his denial is so much more than everybody else's. Okay. Because everybody's just kind of I think they're just brushing Harry off. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he hates you and everybody else. So don't it's not just you is what everybody's telling him. Okay. And Hagrid's telling him more of the same, but yes, there is an extra oomph there. The second really interesting thing that comes out of this uh, afternoon tea session is Harry sees the Daily Prophet newspaper mm-hmm. on a desk in, in Hagrid's home. And the headline is about the break-in that we mentioned in previous chapters at, at Gringotts Bank. All we knew up to this point was that somebody had broken into Gringotts, that it had to have been, you know, high-powered wizards or witches because it's almost impossible. You know, they went on and on about how it's impossible to break into this bank Mm -hmm. and that nothing was stolen. And so there's a lot of mystery kind of uh, wrapped around this this break-in. But we look... Now we get an update. Yeah, now we get a little update because Harry notices that the newspaper date, uh, that the date on the newspaper coincides with uh, something that uh, the event at Gringotts must have happened on or around his birthday. No, it says exactly. It says the break-in took place on July 31st, and he says, Hagrid, the break-in was on my birthday. We were at the bank on my birthday. birthday, And the article stated that nothing, again, nothing had been stolen, and there was only one vault that was searched by the would-be robbers, mm-hmm. so the robbers seemed to know exactly what they where they were going, exactly what they were looking for. There was definitely uh, some planning going on. There was definitely some uh, 
prior knowledge about what they exactly it's not like they were just breaking into a bank to just you know grab as much cash as they could they knew exactly what they were going for they knew exactly where they were going but the good news was that nothing was stolen because the vault that the robbers searched had already been emptied earlier that day so here you start to see the wheels kind of turning in his head and he starts to work things out in his mind are they talking about the vault that Hagrid emptied that mysterious package from? Because if it happened that day, th- we know that Hagrid uh, took a package out of this vault, so that vault would have been emptied earlier that day. And if so, what was in it? How could somebody even break into Gringotts in the first place? And if what I'm thinking is true, why would they want that package? And Hagrid kind of gives him the same reaction of no eye contact, no eye, no eye contact, easy for me to say. Mm-hmm. Changing the subject makes Harry think that something's up. Yeah, that he's evading the topic altogether. So, I mean, this is a pretty significant discovery here. This is something pretty, pretty big. To me, it seems like it's something that's, you know, pretty big that is going to be setting up for a big event mm. in we're the... actually getting the plot going i mean we've had a lot of entertainment with harry and finding out he's a wizard and getting his letter and oh my gosh this is so cool and going shopping and school supplies and and getting to school and sorted it's all just set up though for the world this is we're actually going to start diving into the plot gotcha so. So uh, before we kind of wrap things up, I wanted to talk, uh, get your opinion on some comparisons between the movie and the book, especially the uh, interaction between Snape and Harry on Harry's first potion class. Did it kind of work out the same? Was it kind of presented the same way in the book with the, you know, kind of the bullying from, from Snape and the... You know, Hermione with the overly eager to answer the questions and, well, and things that like that. That scene is almost word for word. Okay. Actually, it probably is word for word. They kept that introduction really close. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you were talking about Hermione looked like she was going to explode. Of course, I just picture Emma Watson in that scene because mm-hmm. she, she is. She's just there. <laughs> pick me, pick me. I and mean, she just had... She was going to explode. She plays the teacher's pet very well. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and even amped it up a little bit in the movies. In the, in the movie, Harry uh, Snape was talking of the whole speech about bottle fame and stop our death. And Harry is writing it all very meticulously in his notes. And... Uh, Snape walks up and stands in front of him and is kind of accusing him of not paying attention. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not even looking at me. You already know all this? and But he's writing it down. Yeah. So it's even kind of amps up the unfairness sure. and I'm just going to pick on you even though... Because everybody else was sitting very quietly and just listening to him paying you know 100% attention to them but Harry's like no I can't I can't miss a thing I gotta write this all down because I gotta remember all this he was taking it like one step further yes he wasn't as engaged in what was going on but he was just writing it out word for word what about the reactions of Draco Malfoy and his crew because 
they seem very happy about the fact that Harry's getting picked on here. Did that come across in the movie the same way? Yeah, yeah, and I had to notice that too. So we've established that Crab and Goyle are a year ahead of Draco, but yet he's they're in the same class. Yeah, I mean, that kind of <laughs> makes sense, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes! You know, like sometimes sometimes the seniors take, you know, you know, Algebra 1 or something like that, you know? it's mm. You, you kind of work with, with where you're at. You know, kind of build up from there. Yeah. The other thing uh, that I wanted to, to either confirm or, or deny or shoot down was the only person that Snape seemed, I don't even want to say proud of, because I don't even think he's, I don't think he's proud of any of the, the students there, but he seems very intrigued by Draco and Draco's ability uh, for potion brewing. And I don't know if that's just a, a byproduct of Snape being the head of Slytherin House, and we they mentioned in the chapter that he... It shows preferential treatment toward the Slytherins uh, quite a bit. Or if, you know, he really thinks that there's, he really sees some, some promise in Draco, or if he says was friendly with his family, or... Yeah, I don't think it says specifically that he's impressed with Draco's abilities. It just said the only one he was nice to, if you could call it that, sure. was Draco. I don't even, I don't think it was a proud, I don't think it was, hey, you're really good at this. It was just the only one he was nice to, was Draco. And yeah, that's because they have family connections. It's not that Draco's good at anything. Yeah, it said, um, it said, he swept along in his long black cloak, watching them weigh dried nettles and crush snake fangs, criticizing almost everyone except Malfoy, who he seemed to like. Yeah, so he's not saying he's doing anything right. He just seemed to like him and he didn't criticize him. He was just telling everyone to look at the perfect way Malfoy had stewed uh. his horn slugs with clouds of acid green smoke and a loud hissing filled the dungeon. So it, it seems like he's the only person that he's kind of showing some positivity, if you want to call it that. His, his form of positivity, positivity, which is not that positive. But for, for Snape, that's... You know, almost like a pat on the back. Good job, chum! Well, I imagine Snape has one Slytherin in every class that he can compare everyone else to in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Like, well, he's the only one who can do it right, and the rest of you are awful. Because mm -hmm. you gotta have, I, I don't know, I just, I think it would be more impact, there would be more impact if you had, why can't you do this right? But if he yells at everybody the same then and said they were all incompetent do you think that slytherins are naturally better at a little bit you know a little bit better at potions or do you think that it just it really just depends on the wizard because snape was obviously a slytherin mm -hmm. and is you know the potion master the only person who really seems to be having success in the in the potion, uh, judging by Snape's reaction, is is Malfoy. Do you think there's something to that, or you think that that it just really is a happy coincidence? That could be. I don't know that they're. Hmm, I'm trying to say. I bet J.K. Rowling planned it that way because mm -hmm. when you think of a potion, you think more of like the evil sure. witches yeah. and brewing 
poisons and concoctions, which you can brew good things too. I love potions, but um, obviously, but I don't know. Maybe there's just that that prejudice, not really mm-hmm. prejudice, but that we have when we think of potions. So mm-hmm. she connected it to Slytherin. Hermione brews stuff later that no first year should be able to brew. Sure. So it's not like it's impossible for the other students. It just kind of seemed that, like, I, I bet the Ravenclaws are really good at the history class. Mm-hmm. I, it seems that, you know, Hermione is, is really good at the transfiguration and, and the charms we later, you know, the Wingardium Leviosa, Leviosa. But it's also part of their on, traits, so. like, Slytherin is just ambitious, so they mm-hmm. really want to do well, they want to succeed. And Ravenclaw is just very studious. So they read everything and they work at it and they try to know everything. They, they're they all about knowing What do you think knowledge. those Hufflepuffs would be really good at? Is there a friendship class? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. No? <laughs> Maybe they're good at taking care of the animals. Ooh. Guys could be really nice to the animals. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really, really good at that. I'm a big really... animal person calm personalities you could be very soothing to the animals and cuddle like them it. you know i think think Puff would care of magical creatures i like it I'm glad which you... makes sense with the current the latest movie right because newt uh scamander is a is a hufflepuff a, a proud hufflepuff mm-hmm. uh so anything else you want to uh add about chapter eight anything uh else that kind of stood out to you about the potions master chapter from harry potter and the sorcerer's stone not really i'm just enjoying like picking apart the chapters and paying attention to the little details like i said i noticed you know that it was neville who blew up the cauldron but later on it's seamus who gets the reputation for blowing everything up and you know it's just interesting sure you can always send us your thoughts at broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. We are going to uh, say goodbye for now, but we will be back next time with Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Ooh. You pretty excited about that one? Maybe. Maybe. Moderately. Moderately. <laughs> I'm just happy to be at Hogwarts. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's a t-shirt right there, too. With the Broomsticks <laughs> and Butterbeer logo on the front. I'm just happy to be at Hogwarts <laughs> on the back. So until next time, I'm Dan Rhino. Jessica Rhino. And uh, thanks for listening. You can always subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, we really appreciate everybody downloading, subscribing, listening, and spreading the word. We will be back next time with Chapter 9. So until then, see ya. Bye. <laughs>